All right, well, it's our time for preaching the Word of God and Bible study. And if you've just joined us, send us a comment that says, Walk in the Spirit. If you would, and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Please stand with me out of reverence to the Word of God for the reading of the Scriptures. And I'm going to read about nine verses tonight. And so because of that, I'd like you to read out loud where you're at as a family or individual. Please stand with us for the reading of Scriptures. And let's rejoice in the Lord. And every now and then, God touches your heart. You can send an amen or praise the Lord, exclamation point, whatever it may be. That's a blessing. Now, if you're 1 Corinthians 3, go, go back to chapter 2. I want to start there. And I want you to notice we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 15. And we're going to read down to chapter 3, chapter 3, all the way to verse 9. So we're going to start with chapter 2, verse 15, chapter, going all the way to chapter 3, verse 9. Listen or follow along and read along with us as I, as I read the word tonight. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I just want to give you a pause. Wherever you see the phrase brethren or and I brethren, that's a break point. That introduces a new thought or subject from Paul, just as you, as you read through 1 Corinthians. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. Even as the Lord gave, us, gave to every man, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. You need to underline that tonight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I want you to underline that phrase because that's going to springboard us into next week's message. Verse 9. For your labors together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Our Father, tonight, I'm thankful for Wednesday night's service. God, over the years, 
We've preached the Bible through on Wednesday night. We preach the Bible every week. I'm thankful, Lord, we've gone through the book of Hebrews, First and Second Peter, Ephesians, Colossians. We've gone, Lord, through Proverbs. We've gone through Psalms 119. Lord, we've gone through the book of James. We've been through 1 John. We've been through many books of the Bible. We've been through a lot of Old Testament books, Lord. And you chose fit this year that we go through 1 Corinthians. And Lord willing, 2 Corinthians. This is your holy word. The entrance of your word gives light. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Tonight I pray you sanctify us. Tonight, God, I pray you set us apart. God, I pray tonight we'd have a holy yearning in us. A desire for holiness. God, I pray tonight that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly in all wisdom. And that through this we would sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody our hearts to the Lord. God, tonight I pray that your, your word would be a fire in our bones. A hammer to our heart. I pray a sword in our soul and spirit and our joints and marrows. God, I pray tonight that your word would be honey to our palate. Sweet to the taste. And God, we'd want more. I pray that you give discernment. Now tonight, Paul talked about discernment. And those groups of people who could not take it. They were not able to receive it or bear it. And others who could. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to desire that Perfect man that Paul spoke about in chapter 2. That fullness of maturity. Where we add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge temperance and temperance patience. And to patience godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness charity. For he says, for if these things be in you to bound, they make you that ye shall neither be unfruitful nor barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're greatly in need of growing this evening. Delivers from distractions. And tonight I pray the Holy Spirit of God, working through live stream, would change our lives, save our soul for those who need salvation, strengthen our faith, and build us up. Father, we thank you tonight you've given us your word, and that it's profitable for us. We humble ourselves before you tonight, that we'd have a humble, meek, and teachable spirit. And I pray all these things in the powerful matchless name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Maybe seated. SARS. S-A-R-S. It's the acronym for secure, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Centers for Disease Control define SARS as follows. It's a, it's a viral respiratory illness caused by a coronavirus called SARS-associated coronavirus. The first SARS case was reported in February of 2003 in Asia. That illness, the SARS virus, spread to more than two dozen countries in North America, South America, Europe, and Asia before this global outbreak was contained in the latter part of 2003. 
The World Health Organization said that a total of 8,098 people worldwide became sick with SARS. We thought that was a big number then. Think about that in comparison to COVID-19. Out of that number, 774 of these people died. It was a respiratory illness that could be spread. It was airborne. It put people on panic mode. And just like COVID-19, the symptoms included an elevated fever, discomfort, body aches similar to flu, a dry cough. And most of these patients develop a severe form of pneumonia, the advanced cases of these coronaviruses. SARS was the forerunner of COVID-19. In 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul defines three kinds of spiritual men. The natural man who does not have the Holy Spirit of God. He's not saved. If you're watching tonight and you're not sure you're saved, the Bible calls you the natural man. The Holy Spirit does not live inside you. And that's one of the testimonies, the evidences that you're saved, that the Holy Spirit lives in you. He defines for us the spiritual man, which we just read about in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. With the spiritual man, he's controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God is actively at work in that man. Now, let me say this. Every person gets saved. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Every one of us gets saved. The moment we get saved, the Spirit of God lives in us. And you ought to say praise the Lord for that. Amen? But then he talks about a carnal man. The carnal man is mentioned four times in four verses. Verse 1, verse 3, verse 4. The carnal man is saved, believe it or not. The Holy Spirit indwells him, but the Holy Spirit doesn't control him. The word carnal is used 14 times in the Bible. 11 of those times are in the New Testament. Paul uses the term carnal to describe the spiritual state of the church at Corinth. The Greek word for carnal is the word sarkikos. The root word for sarkikos is the word sarks, S-A-R-K-S, not SARS. Some of you saw the title of the message and thought, what's, SARS is in the Bible? SARS is not in the Bible, it's SARS is in the Bible, okay? And uh, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, not long after he left there, a SARS epidemic broke out in the church. It wasn't secluded to just a handful of people. It was throughout the church. When he says ye, and you're going to find as we read through the Corinthian, the letter to Corinth, the ye is always referring to that local church. That's important. You might want to mark that down. Especially when I get to 1 Corinthians 11 and we deal with the topic of the Lord's table. Because many times people take the ye and they think it's universal. It's, it's a broad context and it's universal. It is not. It is specific to that local church. So Paul is writing to this local church, but it has an application to every church. A SARS, a SARS epidemic broke out. 
the true spiritual condition of the church was revealed. There are triggers that happen in a church that bring the best and worst out of a church. There are triggers that happen in a Christian that bring the best and worst out of a Christian. For instance, a trial in one's life or a family will bring the best or the worst out of a person. Monetary wealth, monetary blessings and success can bring the best and the worst out of people. You've heard me say this, building programs bring the best and the worst out of people. This COVID-19 situation and church by live stream, hey, listen to me, it's going to bring the best and the worst out of us. You're either going to be more on fire for God or you're going to be less on fire for God. You're either going to have a greater desire for the things of the Lord or you could care less. And you don't really care. And I'm going to cost you again tonight as you watch my live stream. Don't get comfortable sitting in a living room or the kitchen table with your lemonade, your Gatorade, or whatever it is you've got next to you. And realize tonight that, that you're not there to be entertained. This is not home box office. This is not, no, no, no. This, this is the church of the living God still. And this is still God's word. And I don't, I don't want us getting comfortable church at home that it's okay because you're in your socks, you're in your slippers, and you're just kind of walking around. And as soon as we say the last amen, you go off and do your thing. I want to remind you tonight, if God's word is still being preached, and it is, if God's word is still being preached, we need to go, still give it the same reverence, the same respect we gave it while we were sitting in the pews. And if God spoke to us while sitting in the pews, we better make sure while we're in our couch or our easy chair, wherever we may be, that God is still speaking to hearts even right now. Now, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. It was at a place where personality conflicts, personality preferences, and a declining desire for spiritual things brought the worst out of the church. Notice Paul said in verse 3, and again in verse, twice in verse 3, and again in verse 4, ye are yet carnal. Paul was very direct in his preaching. People don't like direct preaching. When they first come to Heritage Baptist Church, compared to the dead church they came out of, where they got a little sermonette, a little devotion, or church where they had a paid pastor, but he only preached once a month, or preached barely once a week, and didn't get into the Word, wanted you to hear from some scientist wanted to tell you all these interesting facts about creation. Hey, I'll tell you an interesting fact by creation. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the world. That's an interesting fact. That's all you need to know, amen? God spoke the world into existence. But they want to get on this esoteric stuff, and after a while they realize their soul, because they're saved, but their soul is dry, and it's shriveling up, and it's been a long time since the breath of heaven ever breathed on their soul. They find their way to Heritage Baptist Church, and those who've been here from the beginning, and those who've joined over the years, and I, there's one thing you have to say about the church, we're just, we're still preaching the Word of God, amen? We're still preaching. And we may have different kinds of preachers here, but we're still preaching. And you're still getting the Word of God the same. You're still getting expository preaching, word by word, here a little, there a little. 
precept upon precept. And so when they first come, they like the direct preaching. They like strong biblical preaching. They like it as long as it's not their pet sin that gets identified. They like it as long as they don't feel uncomfortable. They like it as long as it it doesn't touch their doctrinal quirk that they came from another church with. They like it as long as it doesn't tell them to give up something. And when it does, selective hearing goes on, and they hear what they want to hear. And over time, they don't want to hear it. They get farther from the preaching. They come less to the services. Oh, they got the friendly face and all that, but I'm just saying, they don't like direct preaching. And Paul was pretty direct, I think, at Corinth. And he's writing this letter, he's very direct to them. And I'm going to tell you tonight, when God needs our attention, he's very direct with us. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And if you haven't experienced it, God's going to drop a bomb one day in your lap. And God's going to send something crashing through your window or through your wall. And something's going to come crashing through your ceiling. And you're going to know it's directly from God. Now, the Greek word for carnal is sarkikos. It means controlled by the desires of the flesh. Carnal means to be controlled by the desires of the flesh. In other words, you have more of a fleshly inclination towards things than you do to a spiritual inclination. To give you extreme, a person comes to church, does the church thing, he's all into it, but the truth of the matter is, on, during football season, he bolts out of here, or she bolts out of here, they make their way out, because they want to get on and turn on TV because they want to watch that Niners game. They want to watch that Raiders game. They want to watch that. They want to watch that Pittsburgh Pirate. They want to the, the, the Pittsburgh game. They want to watch one of these games or they just can't wait. They want to watch the Patriots play. I'm just saying tonight, I mean, they're, that's what they're all consumed about. They have a less of an inclination towards spiritual things, but a greater inclination towards fleshly things. It's when the human nature is stronger than the spiritual nature. The definition for sarkikos even goes to saying this. It is when the control of animal instincts is working in our lusts. Carnality can be defined by the lusts of the flesh. An example of this is Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Esau is a picture of the carnal man. Esau said, what good is this birthright to me? And he traded his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. The Bible calls it pottage. He sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. He said, it's just worth a bunch of beans to me anyways, what he said. That's a sarkikos person. The root word for sarkikos, as I said, is sarks. At the church at Corinth, it was a sarks epidemic. Paul starts off with, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now tonight, we want to see what's going on here in this church at Corinth. We really want to see what, what's Paul talking about here. We want to see what is, how do you identify a Sarks epidemic? How do you avoid getting exposed to the Sarks epidemic? And what do you do if you're under it? How do you get out of it? We're going to see some of those things tonight. Number one, if you have your outline, I want you to notice first of all with me, the traits. The traits. What were the traits? Now, I gave you some, but I'm going to get a little bit deeper in this, okay? 
Now, when we try to diagnose a disease, we begin by looking at the symptoms, the markers, or the traits. And we see the traits of the carnality or the carnal Christian here. Notice in verses 1 and 2, we see, first of all, there was a change in their craving. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto carnal, but as unto spiritual. Not as, I could not speak as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Notice, but as unto babes in Christ. He said, I couldn't speak to you as a spiritual Christian. I had to talk to him baby talk. You know what it is to be baby talk, right? Babies can't understand adult conversations and our language, so we break it down very simply, and we, we do God, yeah, 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 blah, 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 with the little baby. We do those little things with the little babies there to try to get them to understand things. Paul is saying here, he's breaking down to an appetite level. Now, you know this. One of the first signs of an illness problem is when your appetite's gone, when your appetites decrease, when there's a shift in your appetite. And Paul said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. These believers had a craving problem. Notice he says here, they were milk-fed Christians. Now the Bible defines, helps understand something. The milk of the Word, the milk of the Word, defines for us the doctrines and concepts of the Bible that are simple and easy to understand. Milk is easy to digest. Babies must, dig- must uh, ingest milk because it's easy for them to digest. First of all, they don't have teeth. Secondly, they don't have mature organs. Thirdly, milk is easy for their body to process. God has designed it so their milk, the, the body can, design, can process all the vitamins and nutrients it needs for that, and it builds a strong body. Milk is what babies consume. Hey, watch babies as they're starting, as they're starting to grow. And it's exciting, for, especially for first-time parents. Their babies are growing, and they get to about that five-month or six-month level, and they're anxiously watching as that first little tooth comes out, and the change are happening, and they're now starting to sample solid food. They want to start them solid, with something that, that's solid. It may be a mashed-up banana. It might be maybe cereal of some kind or, or whatever it may be there, but they try to give them some. But you'll notice in every one of those cases, and everyone in those cases, even as they're, they're, we, they're trying to wean them off of milk, as they're, they're, still, they're, they're slowly getting on the solid, they're always giving them milk. They're always giving them milk and making sure that before they go to sleep, they have milk, that their, bot, their stomach is full and they have milk. These believers here were people that were, all they were eating was milk. Now, the contrast to that is meat. The milk of the word are doctrinal concepts and principles and Christian living concepts that are easy to understand. The meat of the word is talking about the more meaty substance there. With the meat of the word, it's talking about uh, digesting uh, more than just milk. It's, it's basically that the, the doctrines and the, and the principles of the word of God that build strong muscles and, um, and gives, gives you strong health and builds up your spiritual immune system, okay? Now, we all know that. We know that we need a certain amount of protein, and we know we need a certain amount of carbs, and we need to be careful on how much carbs we get in, but we realize we have this proper nutritional balance we want to build muscle and to build mass in our bodies. You know, with the meat of the Word, you can find this in Hebrews chapter 5, with the meat of the Word, you can spiritually discern good and evil. With the meat of the Word, you're able to grow in faith. With the meat of the word, you're able, as he talks about here, to have the mind of Christ, as he talked about in verses 15 and 16. 
You have the mind of Christ. You're able to discern. You're able to receive the things of God on a more ready basis. You can sit under preaching like under Brother Sam Davison as he unwinds the Word of God and takes you from start to finish, and you're able to understand that you're able to receive the meat of the Word of God. With the meat of the Word, you show that you're a full age and you have stability in your Christian walk there. These believers at Corinth, this church family, they were baby Christians. They were like infants. Paul could not give them the meat of the word. They had a problem with their craving. He said, I could not speak unto unto spiritual. They had no desire to go farther in the word of God. Let me repeat that again. They had no desire to go farther in the word of God. Hey, there's an appetite problem if you don't want to go farther in the word of God. That's why a church like ours, and I appreciate independent Baptists who do this, they have church on Sunday morning, church Sunday night. They're not repeat services. They are different messages and different services and Wednesday night service. And then we have other ministries during the week that are more, more, more life, set, life stages centric. And we'll have different preaching there. Friday night, our teenagers are going to get preached to again. And our college students and singles will get preached to again. And then some of our adult growth groups get preached to through their, their classes. They're going to get the Word of God. But these people here had no desire to go farther in the Word of God. They had no desire to do what was right. Paul said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. He's telling you, you got a spiritual problem. I want to speak to you as unto spiritual men, those who are of full age and maturity, of those who can discern the Word of God and understand it. But I can't. You don't understand it. And so because of that, I have to speak unto you like, and I have to give you the milk of the Word. Here were Christians that could not feed themselves. I'm talking about spiritually. They couldn't read the Bible and get something out of it because they were still dependent upon someone else to feed them. These were Christians who resisted changing from milk to meat. They wanted to stay the same size. They wanted to be baby Christians. They lacked a desire for the things of God. They didn't want to talk about learning more about the things of God. He said there, I wanted, he said, I could not speak into the spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babe. Hey, tonight I want to ask you a question. Examine as you examine your spiritual cravings, are you able to feed yourself? Do you desire more of the Word of God? Do you have an anxiousness to get God's Word? Are you still stuck on the milk? Are you growing in the meat? Are you building muscle? Or are you atrophying? If you're a baby Christian, you have baby tendencies. Baby tendencies mean you get discouraged easily. You get frustrated easily. You're antagonistic easily. You're divisive easily. I just say tonight, there are craving issues. Notice secondly, not only a change in cravings, but notice in verse 2, a change in climate. He said, you are not yet able, yet now are ye able. When a person's sick, you always take their temperature. In our case, we look for a spike in temperature. Is there a fever? Something's wrong. There's an infection. Something's wrong. With carnality, the temperature's not increasing. Temperature's decreasing. And when your temperature is decreasing, that's just as serious, if not more serious, than your temperature increasing. Paul said to them, ye are yet not able to bear it. Ye are not able to bear it. They had a temperature problem. They had a drop in temperature. 
A carnal Christian does not have a normal temperature. Watch this. No zeal, no fervency, no fire for the things of God. If things in the church warm up, they're not comfortable. If they have a drop in temperature, it doesn't bother them. They don't even notice that they've got cold hands and cold feet and a cold heart. Hey, tonight, has there been a change in your climate? Has there been a change in your craving? And then notice, not only a change in those two, but there's a change in conduct. There's a change in conduct. Now, sometimes when, when we have issues going on, especially as we have a lot of stress and anxiety, sometimes we have behavioral changes. Sometimes we have conduct changes, okay? Sometimes we might be a little bit more standoffish. Sometimes we might be a little bit more antisocial. Sometimes we might be a little, more, a little bit more sharp and a little bit more punchy in our attitude. We may be cranky and argumentative and get easily upset with people. I mean, those are symptoms of showing something's wrong. These carnal Christians, Paul points out right there in verse 3, he talks about three things, which I'll get into a little bit later, that these people were had a change in their conduct. Listen, you know there's a problem spiritually, when you get easily agitated with people, when people annoy you, people bother you, you, you can't stand people, you don't like Christians, everybody's a hypocrite, you're the only one that's spiritual. You're the only one that's not a Pharisee. When you have that kind of attitude, there's a problem going on in the conduct of yourself. And you find yourself withdrawing, and you're just not in love with people. And so we see there's both an appetite problem and an attitude problem. We see the traits of carnality, they're serious. We see the trouble with carnality. Paul points out here in these verses, and some other place I want you to see, the trouble with carnality. With SARS, you get pneumonia, and if you don't get well, you'll die. With SARS, you can get a little bit disoriented. Hey, they say with COVID-19, there's a loss of taste, loss of appetite, digestional issue. They even said now there's, there's, some, there's maybe some brain damage in some groups of people. There's definitely respiratory problems. They even say that people even recover, that there may be a portion of their, their breathing capability that will be impaired and, and hampered for the rest of their life. I mean, those are very serious things there. And with, with COVID-19, when, it, when it's very severe, you feel like your chest is crushed and you, you can't breathe. It's almost like you're feeling like you're drowning. I mean, you're just, it's a very, very uncomfortable situation. And I want to say tonight, as we look at the trouble here with, the, with, the, with carnality, Paul points it out right here in verse 3. Would you notice this? He says, for ye are yet carnal. Now, he's direct. For whereas there is among you, he said, smack dab in the midst of your fellowship, smack dab in the midst of your congregation, he said, there is envying, strife, and divisions. The church at Corinth was divided. Now listen tonight, a sure sign of carnality is fighting, friction, and factions. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Fightings? Friction and faction. Carnal Christians divide over personalities. Look at verse 4. For one saith, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Hey, that's the problem there. You're following people. You're following people. The problem was not Paul, and the problem was not Apollos. Paul said, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. He said, are you not carnal? Carnal Christians divide over practices. Look at verse 6. I have planted Apollos water. 
but they were they they had differentials about they had differentials among them about these personalities. By, the Bible says God gave the increase. They divided over practices. Notice chapter 1, verse 17. They divided over priorities. In chapter 1, verse 17, he said, But for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. You know what they were saying there? They, they, I said this in a previous message. They were divisive over preaching. They were divisive about how to get the gospel out. They were contentious about the gospel. They said, well, we need, to, we need to be esoteric in our explanation. And others said, we need to be evangelistic. And they basically clashed over there. They, had, they, were, they were divisive over personalities, over practices, over priorities. Hey, they were divisive over pettiness and preferences. Carnal Christians divide by questioning doctrine. Hey, you know you're not a carnal believer when after service they're going to pull you aside and they're going to say, well, I don't agree with what was preached there because I'm going to tell you, here's my perspective from the Word of God. You just were divisive. Carnal Christians will take doctrine and make it divisive. They question doctrine. They question authority. They question practices of faith. They question vision. You've, it's always there, every church. Carnal Christians always have to prove a point. They always have to get the last word and prove that they're right. There's division. Secondly, there's disease. Go with me to James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Now James talks about this because they had, they had, uh, they had this problem there, the church there. There was preferential treatments. There was classism. As Paul said, he talked about their tongue being the problem there. And then he went on by talking about this. He said in verse 14, I'm in James chapter 3, but if you have bitter, envying, and strife in your hearts, same words we saw in 1 Corinthians. He said, glory not, lie not against you. Now let me, let me give you some counsel here. Where there's bitter, envying, and strife, you should not be trying to find people to validate your bitterness. Amen. You should never be looking for people to validate your bitterness. You should never be looking for people to validate your envy or to get people on your side. Here's what he's saying. If you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not. And he says, when you hear it being preached on and when you know it's your sin, lie not against the truth, he said there. Now I'm going to tell you tonight, churches across America, churches around the world are filled with bitter Christians who hear the preaching of God's word where bitterness is a sin of the flesh and bitterness is wrong, but they lie against the truth. They say, well, it's not me. It's not my problem. It's somebody else's problem. And I'm going to tell you tonight, the Bible tells in the book of James, lie not against the truth there. Then he says something else. Because just like at Corinth, they classified divisive behavior and strife and envyings as a form of wisdom. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And James said this, this wisdom descendeth not from above. He said, that's not from God. Bitter envying and strife, you mark it down, it is not from God. It's the flesh. He said it's earthly. It's sensual. And would you notice the third word? It's devilish. But here's the part I want you to see. For where envying and strife is, and that's not just in the church, that's in your homes. That's in sibling rivalries. For where envying and strife is, 
Here's the disease. There is confusion in every evil work. It's a no-win situation. Just like SARS and COVID-19 is an infectious disease, carnal divisive behavior is an infectious disease. There's divisions. There's a trouble of disease. There's a trouble of doubt. Look at another verse in chapter 1 of James. James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. The trouble of doubting. In James chapter 1, he starts it off by talking about trials. And when we go through a trial, he says, you know, we're trying to understand what God wants us to do. What, what is God trying to teach us? That's the spiritual man trying to get discernment. And he promises us in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. He says, you know, we, we, we claim that promise every day, and I hope you do as I do. We, we claim that promise for wisdom for our daily practice, but the specific nature, the context there, is praying for wisdom as you're going through a trial, because there are many different kinds of trials. And you should be praying for wisdom. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Somebody who's going through a trial that I, I spent some time counseling with on the phone today, and I said, what do you think God's trying to teach you through this? If you can't figure out what God's trying to teach you, you're carnal. If you're not arrived yet, that means you, you're, you, you need to spend some time with listening to God. But listen to what he says here. He says in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, follow me please tonight, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Important phrase here, ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. That's a good analogy. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable and is on his way. Hey, listen, when, there's carnal, when we're carnal in nature, and we cannot receive the things of God, we pray, but we pray something like this. God, I need you to do this. And then after we pray, we say, I sure hope God will help me. I sure hope God will answer prayer. You know what that? That's a double-minded man. You don't believe that God is. You don't believe that God is able you, you're in your mind, you understand the scripture says there's nothing too hard for the Lord, but in your mind you're asking the question, is there anything too hard, that, is there anything that's too hard for God? In other words, there's a doubting problem. We have this, this mentality that we're really not sure God is going to answer us. We're really not sure that God's perfect will is going to be done. And the Bible tells us we need to ask in faith, nothing wavering. But listen, a person who's carnal is double-minded. He's unstable in his, all his ways. One day God's on the throne, the next day God's not on the throne. One day church is great, the next day church is not great. Hey, one day God, the pastor is my friend, the next day the pastor is not my friend. One day the church is a loving place. The next day the church is not a loving place. One day the church, thank God for the offering of the church. The next day they're saying, well, the church asks us for too much money. And one day they say, well, I'm glad for our evangelistic endeavors. The next time they're saying, I wish we'd stop this emphasis on winning souls. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You don't have great faith is because you're double-minded. Because you don't believe God is and he's a reward of them that diligently seek him. The trouble of disease, the trouble of division, the trouble of doubt. But notice the trouble of decline. Look at verse 3 again. 1 Corinthians 3. He closes verse 3 by saying, Are ye not carnal? And notice this phrase, In walk as men? Now as Paul weaves through this, he's basically telling them they're on a spiritual decline. Are you going through a spiritual decline? Are you spreading dissension? Are you spreading strife? Are you unstable in all your ways? 
Is your faith limited on based upon what you can do? Then that's not faith. Faith is not what you can do. Faith is what God can only can do. Only God. There's decline. My prayer for our church is we're sitting tight and waiting on God, and that's what we should be doing. Amen? Is that we would grow in our faith. These are days you ought to be desiring to be a spiritual man. Hey, get off all those websites you're on. Trying to find out what this church is doing, that church. You're just being a busybody. Be a Bible body. Be a prayer body. Be a nobody, amen? Stop worrying about what other churches are doing. Thank God for what our church is doing. Amen. Pray that our church will do more. And if something doesn't go right on the technical side of things, first of all, you ought to thank God that we have it under control. Secondly, you ought to just say, well, God, please help it doesn't happen again. So what do you do? We've seen the traits. We've seen the trouble. Well, I've got good news for you because I tell you, every time you look at the Word of God, God always has good news. Amen? There's a treatment for this. There's a treatment for carnality. Go back to chapter 3, and we're going to finish up with this tonight. Notice the treatment. I want you to notice verses 6 to 9 tonight. And I'm not going to take it far enough because we don't have time, but I'm going to take it far enough you can get it. Number one, we've identified these traits, and we have, we've looked at these traits and we've looked at the trouble, and there, it's bad trouble, okay? It's infectious. But there is a treatment. It's an effective treatment. It's a treatment from heaven. It's a medicinal treatment, okay? Now, if you'll, you'll, you'll obey God's word tonight, the treatment will help your soul. and Get you out of that mess. Get you on the right, get you off the milk and back on the, word, back on the meat, amen? Number one, we must have a holy perspective. We must have a holy perspective. Now, verses 6 to 9, Paul gives a holy perspective. A divisive spirit is a disease that's dangerous to a church. Paul saw that, but he didn't leave them hanging with their problem when he said, are you not carnal? Paul defines and gives them a treatment, and he tells us in verses 6 to 9 a very, very important perspective. Now, perspective is not from a human perspective. It is from God's perspective. It's understanding things as God wants to understand it. Now, first of all, notice in verse 5. Here's the perspective. I want you to see something. First of all, the perspective we need to realize tonight is we're not big shots. We're not big shots. We're not, I'm the teacher of the adult growth group. I'm the teacher of the Spanish department. I'm the teacher of the Chinese department. I'm the teacher of, of youth fellowship. No. The perspective is we're all servants. We're all servants. And notice what he says in verse 5. Who then is Paul? Well, man, Paul was pretty big as far as I'm concerned. Amen? Who then is Paul? And who then is Apollos? And he wasn't being derogatory against Apollos. Because they were on the same page. Hey, I learned one thing. Godly men are always on the same page. Ungodly men are always divisive. Who then is Paul? And who then is Apollos? Notice he says, but diakonos. Diakonos. Now I'm not sure if this church had deacons or not because it doesn't say. But he used a word that is the word for deacons. 
A New Testament deacon is a servant of God. They are not the pastor. They are servants alongside of the pastor. They're to stir up the dust. They're to, literally, the, the word means, if you study it, they, they were literally serving tables. They were filling in the needs. And the Bible says, but ministers are servants by whom you believe. I like Paul's narrative there. He said, you know what? You got, listen, we were just servants of God in our different capacity, and God used us as tools so that you would believe. That's a good perspective. You might want to write down in your Bible, Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Servants serve. You ought to write that down. You ought to say that together with me tonight. In fact, you ought to send me a comment right now. Servants serve. Servants serve. Servants don't control. Servants don't manipulate. Servants don't draw circles around people. Servants don't isolate. Servants don't push away. Servants serve. And they serve everybody. Second, notice the second thing he said in this perspective. First of all, we're servants. Notice verse 7. As verse 7, he says, as servants, we are nothing. How do you like that tonight? Pastor Fong preached and said, you're nobody. You're nothing. Amen? You're nothing. That's what God says. I'm nothing, and you're nothing. He said in verse 7, so then, because we like to think, well, man, I'm the one that planted. And the other one says, well, man, I'm the one that watered. And you know what God says? You two men, you're nothing. He said in verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. And I like this phrase, God gives the increase. We're nothing. Don't take credit for results. Don't get up there and we have testimony time bragging about yourself and patting yourself on the back. Give the credit to Jesus. Amen. Third, okay, number one, we're servants. Number two, as servants, we're nothing. Number three, would you notice verse 9? Number three, God is the owner. He said, ye are God's husbandry. I wish I had time to develop that for you, man, because if you go through the whole New Testament, Old Testament, man, it's, by the time you're done with that, if it doesn't change your perspective about the ministry, there's something wrong with you. You are God's vineyard. He cleared the stones away. He built the fences he planted the vine. And by the way, Jesus said he's the true vine. Amen? God is the owner as his vineyard. You'll notice God uses a lot of metaphors to describe us. He says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said we're servants. But he said here, you are, you are God's vineyard. God meticulously by his grace, and you read Ephesians 3 about it, God meticulously by his grace has called you out and gifted you with special gifts for the glory of the gospel and the glory of God to be used for his glory. And he says here, he says, as God's husbandry, and they knew what he's talking about. They were to be in their place where God planted them. Listen to me tonight. They were to be in their place where God planted them, and they were to get their roots deep, and they were to bloom. They were to be fruitful. They were to bring forth fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. You're God's vineyard. You're not the owner. Listen, some of you walk around thinking you own the church. God owns the church. It's not your ministry. It's his ministry. 
Then he said, you're God's building. Well, he owns the real estate. He has the master keys. He adds one floor upon the other. He adds stones upon that building. Read about that in 1 Peter 2. So we are servants. As servants, we are nothing. God is the owner. But I like this next one. Look at verse 6, 7, and 9. God gives the increase. Glory to God. Amen? God gives the increase. Look at verse 6. Who then is Paul? He says, I have planted Apollos watered, but God, but God gave the increase. He said in verse 7, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 12. Verse 9, he said, for we are, God's, we, are God, we are labors together with God. I want you to understand something tonight. It's God's business. It's God's vineyard. It's God's building. You know what he did? In his mercy, he took us into business with him. We need to take God into business with us. He took us into business with him. That's the difference. Hey, that's a holy perspective. And these Corinthians got away from it. You know why? Because they were in the vanity fair of the world. They were in Corinth where everybody was an entrepreneur and everybody had a business and everyone was successful and everyone did well and everyone traded well. And, listen, and they got the point. They brought into the church an entrepreneurial spirit and they thought, well, you know, it's my business. It's my strategic plan. It's my thing like that. And they started acting like it was God, that, that they didn't need God. No, they needed God. They had to understand that they had to have a holy perspective. But quickly tonight, treatment number one is you better have a holy perspective. Treatment number two is you better have a holy performance. I want you to go with me to Galatians 5, and we'll close with this tonight. Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, begin with verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Paul elaborates and explains the conflict of the spiritual life. The conflict of the spiritual life is the war between the spirit life and the flesh life. And I don't have time to get into all that. You can read it on your own. And he defines in verses 19, 20, 21, the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. In verses 22 and 23, he defines for us the, the deeds or the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. And what I want to say tonight is that Paul didn't want these people to continue to walk as men. That means they were walking in the flesh. They were in a decline. They were controlled by their fleshly impulses, not spiritual impulses. Now let me, let me just park there just say this before I go on. I want to correct some thinking tonight. And I'm going to tell you, it's in my craw. It bothers me. It's bothered me for many, many years. This nonsense where people say, this is what God, this is what God, I think, wants me to do, and I'm praying about it. Now, I'm going to tell you what most of you mean when you tell me you were praying about it. You're basically asking God to give you approval on your plans. You're not asking God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
When you tell me you prayed about it, you didn't even, you didn't even ask God, Lord, are you in approval for it? Is this your will? You just basically want God to validate what you already made a decision on, just like counsel. Most counsel people want is a validation of, their, of what they've already decided. They don't want counsel. By the way, just a side thought, five times the word counsel is used in the New Testament. Did you know something? Four of those times is in a bad, it's in a bad context about the flesh. The only times in a good context is when Jesus says, I counsel thee. The only kind of counsel that's biblical, the only kind of counsel right, is Jesus' counsel. It's Bible counsel. And people don't want to hear Bible counsel. And I'm telling you tonight, you're getting Bible counsel. The Word of God is the counsel you need for everything in life. And so holy performance means we're not going to walk in this. How do you overcome it? Well, we've got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to live in the Spirit. And so he says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here's what happens every morning. The flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Hey, it's happening right now. Some of you are bucking the preaching right now because you don't have a humble heart yet. You're bucking the preaching. You say, well, that's not me. Lying out against the truth. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you want. Hey, listen, as long as that conflict's going on, you can't get anything done. If the more you gravitate to the flesh, the more you're going to be doing the works of the flesh. So Paul says, we got this conflict every day. But he said in verse 18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, and there's the key. Well, what's being led of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. If ye be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not entangled with bondage. Well, we say this. It's like some people give... They, give, they come to church and they give, they give more allegiance to a constitution than they do to the Word of God. They give more, they give more allegiance to an employee handbook than they do to the Word of God. So we need to defeat the flesh. How do you do that? Look at Ephesians 5, notice verse 24. And they that are Christ, thank God we're Jesus, amen? And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. And so he says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There's the key. You've got to live in the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. So to live in the Spirit, you've got to change your appetite. You've got to get your cravings changed where you get off the milk and start gravitating to the meat and you want more of the meat. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. You've got to live in the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And when that happens, all nine of the fruit of the Spirit is evident. You can't be partial in your fruit. You have to have all nine. Because he said here, he said here, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the evidence, the evidence that God is working in our lives and we're controlled by the Spirit. You see, he that is spiritual has the fruit of the Spirit. And he that is spiritual is a discerning Christian. And he that is spiritual is, discern is judged by no man. And he that is spiritual seeks the things of God. I'm just saying tonight, 
That's how you overcome a Sark's epidemic. You overcome a Sark's epidemic by having a church filled with people that love God, that love His Word, that have revival spirit, they're on fire all the time, they never get uncomfortable about things, and they get convicted more than they get uncomfortable, and they live for God, and they want more of Jesus, they want to do more of the things of God. I mean, they're just desiring God's Word. And when they talk, they talk about God's Word. They talk about Jesus. They're not talking about some all kinds of other junk. Hey, you ought, there ought to be a red flag. If you're trying to grow in the Lord and somebody carnal comes up to you and all they want to talk about is carnal things, that ought to be a red flag to you. Hey, there's something wrong. If they're more interested in politics, more interested about money, more interested in talking about people and things, and boyfriend, girlfriend, and all that stuff, and they're not interested in talking about Jesus, they ought to set up a red flag to you. Hey, you know what? I've got to help this Christian to get on the same page that they desire God's things just as I desire God's things. And so tonight, Blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Sark's epidemic permeated the church at Corinth. It began very small, like every epidemic does, but it became a big problem. Carnality occurs and we let the little things slip in our life. Carnality progresses and we skip out on vital spiritual exercises. We skip out on preaching. We skip out on going to church. We skip out spending time in the Word and prayer. We have no interest in witnessing. I'm not being critical now. We're not interested in serving the Lord. Carnality is damaging because it's found in verse 3. There's envying, contentions, and division. Carnality consumes us when we walk in the flesh, not in the Spirit. Next week we will see the impact carnality has on our eternal reward. Tonight, God has spoken to us that we're what he defined in verse 1. We're milky Christians instead of meaty Christians. Don't you think tonight's a good night to get that fixed with God? Tonight, God has spoken to you and pierced your heart that, about carnal behavior, envyings, and contentions and divisions. Don't you think tonight is a good night to humble ourselves before God and make it right? Glory not and lie not against the truth. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us.